0: Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book Creativity Incorporated, overcoming the unseen forces that stand in the way of true inspiration. Have you seen the animated movie Toy Story? If so, do you still remember scenes from it? With Tom Hanks providing the voice for the lead, it was the first entirely computer-animated film. On its debut in 1995, Toy Story became one of the largest Thanksgiving Day premieres in history. Audiences were not only amazed by the hilarious characters and the movie's imaginative plot. They were also awed by the innovative animation technology. Being both a commercial hit and artistic, Toy Story became a sensation at that time, garnering 358 million dollars at the box office worldwide the highest of the year time hailed toy story as inventive the new york times lauded it as brilliant and exultantly witty while the chicago sun times also lavished praises on it calling it visionary just as chicago sun times said this movie is indeed a visionary production it launched a new era of animation but do you know how they produced this landmark movie More than 100 people on the Pixar team spent five years of intensive work on the 80-minute film. Over these five years, they rewrote the script countless times, revised the scenes, and introduced entirely new ideas, sparing no effort to resolve problems as they arose. Needless to say, creativity is the most valuable element of an animated movie. In order to foster a culture of creativity, the team's ethos is equality, Treating everyone equally. And the studio fosters a relaxed working atmosphere, a mood embodied in the design of the office space. Pixar is based close to the San Francisco Oakland Bay Bridge. The building was designed by Steve Jobs and named after him, although when Jobs died a year later, it was renamed. Outside, there are leisure facilities, a soccer field, a volleyball court, a swimming pool, and an amphitheater. The lawns adjoining these facilities become the stage for Pixar employees' social activities. Some of these like Pixar Palooza, have become traditions. Within the building, the employees work freely according to their own preferences. There are pink dollhouses and styrofoam castles. If they choose, the animators can hunch over their laptops inside. All in all, Pixar is dedicated to safeguarding and stimulating the raw creativity and unadulterated fantasy of their employees. When Pixar came of age, around 30 Academy and 7 Golden Globe awards justify the company's indulgence in its workers' creativity. The book documents Pixar's growth. Its authors are Ed Catmull and Amy Wallace. Catmull is a five time Academy Award winner and co founder and president of Pixar Animation. Steve Jobs once called him highly intelligent, thoughtful, and soothing. Wallace is a journalist and columnist for the New York Times. She has also served a long stint as editor-at-large at at Los Angeles Magazine and writes for the New Yorker and Los Angeles Times. In this bookie, we will break the book's essential content into three parts. Part 1, Starting Out. Part 2, Protecting Innovation. Part 3, Building and Sustaining. The book tells the story of Pixar from its birth to an industry leader from the perspective of Pixar's co founder and president Ed Catmull. The story began when Catmull was a kid. Walt Disney was his idol. His most cherished memory was waiting in front of the TV at 7 every Sunday evening for the wonderful world of Disney. The show revealed the mystery and magic behind Disney's motion pictures. Walt Disney himself would put in an appearance and tell the audience how he and his team created vivid animated characters like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. And how they used the cutting-edge technologies of their time to stitch together a world of fantasy. Catmull was fascinated by the visual delights made possible by new technologies. His formative exposure to Disney's influence sowed the seed of his dream that one day he would also produce fabulous animated movies every step he took was one step closer to fulfilling the dream. He graduated from the University of Utah with degrees in physics and computer science in 1969. At that time, computer science was still in its infancy. Then he met Ivan Sutherland, one of the pioneers in interactive computer graphics. Computer graphics are pictures machine generated from code or data. Although this was fledgling technology, Sutherland was already well versed in the field. With Sutherland's guidance, Catmull studied computer graphics. As he learned, Catmull determined that he could give it a go and make his first computer animated sequence. In the spring of 1972, he spent ten weeks animating a digital model of his left hand. Hand debuted at a computer science conference in 1973 and made a splash. No one had ever seen anything like it before. After this successful debut, Catmull had a clearer sense of his goal. As soon as he graduated, Catmull determined to devote his life to making a computer-animated movie. With masterly visual effects, Star Wars hit theaters across America on May 25, 1977. Such unprecedented effects and stellar box office takings changed the movie industry. Writer-director George Lucas along with his Lucasfilm studio and its subsidiary Industrial Light & Magic were in the ascendance. Two years on, Lucas planned a computer effects division and asked Catmull to be the manager. It was still the early days of personal computers in the U.S. It seemed any entrepreneur dedicated to computer technologies could be successful. Catmull directed his graphics team to use the computers to explore blue-screen matting technology. The team spent four years designing a specialized standalone computer with the capability to combine special effect images with live action and render the result on the film. This computer was given the name Pixar Image Computer. Why Pixar? There is a story behind this name, too. One of the team's engineers, who had grown up in Texas and New Mexico, had a strong affection for the Spanish language. His affection extended to a liking for English words that sound Spanish, such as laser. So, he created a word pixar that sounded like a Spanish and implied to make pictures. Another engineer chose a word with explicitly technical connotations radar. Finally, pixar and radar combined, giving birth to Pixar. Basking in the afterglow of Star Wars success, Lucasfilm was a magnet for big names. Steven Spielberg made a point of visiting the Pixar studio to see their innovative new effects. So did some of Disney's animators. John Lasseter was among them. Because of his avant-garde approach, he was not always understood or universally appreciated. He was a born dreamer and storyteller, a perfect fit for Lucasfilm. Lasseter joined Lucasfilm and found fertile ground for his visions. Unfortunately, however, His move coincided with a fallow period for the animated movie industry and Lucas Studios. Plus, Lucas had just been through a divorce. His settlement drained the company's finances. To cut expenses, he decided to sell Catmull's computer effects division. At that time, Lucasfilm had already undergone two years of reform and restructuring, but due to cash shortages, the situation continued to deteriorate. If nobody stepped in to take it over, the computer effects division would have to fold. Lucasfilm shopped around over 20 prospective buyers and production companies, but none responded. At long last, an agreement was reached with General Motors and Philips. Philips only valued Pixar's technological capacity to process large amounts of data. To survive financially, Catmull was about to give up on animated movie production altogether. However, Within a week of signing, the deal fell apart, setting the stage for Steve Jobs's appearance and heralding a new phase for Pixar. Jobs was the director of Apple's board in February 1985 when Catmull first met him. During their conversation, Catmull could sense the authority and confidence Jobs exuded. Honestly, Catmull did not take to him. His overbearing character and assertiveness hardly endeared him to others. We discussed his unlikable traits at length in the bookie Steve Jobs, the exclusive biography. In the meeting, Jobs decided on a merger, but two months passed, and nothing came of it. In late May, when it was all over the news, Catmull finally learned of the reason behind the delay, Jobs had fallen out with Apple's board of directors. Jobs quit Apple and founded the rival PC company Next. After a series of negotiations with Lucasfilm stakeholders, Jobs paid $5 million to uncouple Pixar from Lucasfilm. He injected another $5 million to fund its operations. As the dust settled and Pixar was born, its future ensured. It would gradually grow and evolve. This was the birth of a new chapter in the history of animated movies. In 1986, Catmull was responsible for the sale of the Pixar Image computer. He was now president of a computer hardware startup. You may be confused wasn't Pixar an animated movie company? How come it was selling computers? That was the number one question for Pixar, what did the company do? Catmull had no idea. Pixar was positioned as a computer manufacturing company. Jobs wanted them to retail the Pixar Image computer opening a chain of computer stores across the US. Catmull's job was to identify and hire suitable personnel to staff manufacturing, sales, service, and marketing departments. However, the company incurred huge losses. Over the subsequent years, Pixar sold only 300 image computers. Dismal sales forced Pixar to evaluate its problems. In this period, Pixar also produced some animated pictures. Luxo Jr., directed by John Lasseter, was nominated for an Academy Award. This boosted company morale, but the deficit on its balance sheet reflected a failure to monetize its achievements. Pixar's operating budget mainly came from Jobs's own pocket. Jobs was fully dedicated to the computer company next. He spared no time for Pixar, only entering its office once a year. He had to have Catmull show him around because otherwise he would get lost. The ballooning financial deficit was a tough reality, unfolding right in front of the team. Selling hardware was unsuccessful, and producing animated movies yielded little revenue. Pixar had to lay off more than a third of its employees. After several unfruitful years, Jobs's patience finally ran out. He made three attempts to sell Pixar. During the negotiations, he was surprised to find that Microsoft put in a $90 million bid. Jobs realized Pixar had some value. His foolish idea of offloading the company came to an end and he decided to stick with Pixar. Fortunately, however, even though Pixar's early works did not generate revenue, their awards and technical innovation drew the attention of Disney. Disney wanted to pay Pixar to produce movies. It was a perfect opportunity for the struggling Pixar. But there were strings attached, Disney would retain ownership and exclusive distribution rights of all works produced. In 1991, Disney and Pixar signed a deal for three films. Now Pixar could go all in, pursuing their vision of digital animated movie production. It had taken five years for Pixar to reach this point. For Mall. It had been twenty years working towards his dream. John Lasseter had been working on an idea about a group of toys and a boy. Yes, what was to become Toy Story? Initially, the optimistic and kind hearted hero Woody we all know was conceived as mean and jealous. These character traits were the result of Disney's interference in Pixar's artistic conception. Disney demanded more edge when initially presented with the simple and earnest cowboy character. Disney felt Woody was too honest. They wanted him to have a darker side to his personality. Pixar was obliged to act on the recommendation, even when such a change spelled disaster for the movie and the company's artistic reputation. The day the mock-up screened at Disney headquarters went down in Pixar history as Black Friday. The mock-up fell way below expectations, bringing the project to a crisis. Catmull and his fellow executives were out of their minds with worry. How could they salvage Toy Story? In fact, all they needed to retrieve the soul of the movie was to trust their storytelling instincts and reinstate Woody as they first envisioned him, the toy cowboy who wanted to be loved. They learned an important lesson. Fortunately, they managed to overcome the difficulties. Computer-generated special effects became a fashion in Hollywood and an opportunity for Pixar. After reaffirming their objectives, the Toy Story production team worked flat out. To Catmull's surprise, as Toy Story's release approached, Jobs wanted to take Pixar public. For Jobs, this wasn't just about a single movie, it would shake up the world of animation. Jobs rarely wore a suit and tie, but he put one on now showing the level of his commitment to the offer, and they started to pitch to investors. Jobs' intuition was correct. Toy Story broke box office records, and Pixar's initial public offering raised nearly $140 million, the biggest IPO of 1995. Evaluating Pixar's triumphant debut, Catmull's team began to reflect on the creative principles behind Toy Story. They summarized these in two maxims. Story is King. Trust the process. Story is King implied sticking with the original vision and resisting commercial pressures during production. It also meant avoiding being sidetracked from the story by the irrelevant flash effects made possible by the computer animation technology. Trust the process was to have faith. The brilliant team at work on the production will solve the problem no matter how intricate. It's a reassuring principle. However, Trust the process was immediately challenged by Catmull's approach to Toy Story 2. At first, he didn't take the sequel seriously. He deployed the original Toy Story team to a new project and assigned two animators with little directing experience to work on the sequel. Consequently, having lost creative continuity, initially, Toy Story 2 faltered, its first mock-up was appalling. It seemed Toy Story 2 was destined to be a disaster. Practicing the principle of trust the process wouldn't help because this relied on the strength of the creative team, problems would not go away by themselves. At this point, Catmull made a tough decision, restart the process, start with the story. For Pixar, it was a huge challenge to begin again with just nine months before the scheduled delivery date. Catmull first changed the person in charge and then reinstated the entire Toy Story creative team to rework the script they re-injected drama to the bland storyline. Catmull then begged the production team to work every day around the clock. After six months, everyone was exhausted, but the movie was finished and their efforts paid off. Toy Story 2 was a blockbuster, taking over $500 million at the box office. It was a sequel that outshone the original, embodying Pixar's inexhaustible spirit. From this story, we can understand that simply trusting the process does not automatically solve problems. It was talented people at Pixar that turned things around. They took the initiative in the crisis, identified the flaws, and overcame the issues. That's why Catmull believes that Pixar should not just trust the process. Rather, it must trust its workers and let them control the process. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for BOOKEY at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.